everyone. My name is Maria Thomas, and I work for Allianz Research, the global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors, and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Subron. Welcome to Tomorrow, a podcast where we'll be talking about our latest analyses of economic and capital market developments, as well as our views on trends affecting risk management. Let's get started. The invasion of Ukraine has sent energy prices surging, in turn pushing up inflation. What does this mean for central banks and monetary policy in the US and Eurozone? We find out in this episode with senior economists Patrick Krizan and Katharina Utermore. Hello, Katharina and Patrick. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Maria. Hello, Maria. So 2022 kicked off on a decidedly hawkish monetary policy footing um, as central banks across the globe increasingly moved to rein in record high inflation. How has um, Ukraine's invasion changed the game for central banks? As a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the sanctions that were imposed, the global economy is currently experiencing a major supply shock on top of the one dealt by the COVID-19 shock, fueled by further spikes in energy and commodity prices. With gas prices up by 70% since the beginning of the year and grain prices 30% higher, we now expect inflation to remain higher for longer. The tightening case is far from clear-cut, though, as elevated economic and financial stability risks in a context of heightened uncertainty are adding an additional layer to central banks' decision-making processes. In the coming month, central banks will have to manage a challenging policy trade-off. There have been concerns around stagflation for some time already, but Russia's invasion of Ukraine has clearly put them on another level. So are central banks more concerned about the stag or the flation part for now? And that's a good question. But I would say generally central banks are now facing a trilemma uh, consisting of, on the one hand, counter-elevated inflation expectations, uh, stabilized growth in the face of the supply stock we are currently we've just talked about, and also ensuring financial stability in an environment of higher volatility. Uh, until now, it seems that central banks all over the world have made clear that taming inflation is their primary goal. And that's true for developing, but also for advanced economies. And just as an example, for example, the Central Bank of Egypt just increased its policy rate by 100 basis points in response to higher food prices and pressure on the currency. If you look at the world-leading central bank, the U.S. Federal Reserve, it has implemented its first rate hike since 2018, and its wording on inflation has turned increasingly hawkish. Um, and markets are taking the Fed at its wording and are testing out how quick and how far it is willing to go. So in technical terms, we call that the hiking path and the terminal value. And uh, at the moment, the market's pricing the steepest hiking path in the 1980s. It's more than a, with a more than fifty percent likelihood of fifty basis point increases for the next three meetings, and a policy rate at the end of the hiking cycle at three percent, which is much higher than the, the the peak we have seen in two thousand eighteen. So um, let's see how long this hawkish momentum will last. Um, to maintain it, you have to keep the pressure up, so incrementally increasing your wording. Personally, I think the Fed may run out of option at some point here. Also, when we look at the Eurozone, we are um, experiencing this hawkish momentum, although it's a bit of a light version. But the ECB made clear 
at its last meeting in March that inflation is its number one concern when it pressed ahead with the faster tapering of net asset purchases under the APP program and in turn um, with that also paved the way for a first rate hike in the second half of the year. Markets currently have a very aggressive view on the ECB hiking cycle with 100 basis points hikes in the next 12 months. Um, and this would put a clear end to the era of negative rates in the eurozone. But this cycle is different because the tightening is not taking place in a booming economy, but a slowing one. And there is this trilemma again. Inflation check, but what about growth and financial liquidity? So are central banks right to do so? Yeah, at least uh, we can say that's not surprising they act like this, given the inflation outlook and their mandate of price stability. And they also need to, to work on restoring the credibility after the initial take of a transitory inflation shot, which actually didn't work out. Um, what is for sure, inflationary pressure remains strong for now. Uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has triggered a fresh, a fresh energy price surge, notably in Europe, where inflation reached a new um, high in February, and uh, it will certainly get worse before it gets better. So the supply chain disruptions related to the war in Ukraine, but also to China's very aggressive zero COVID strategy and the return of lockdowns we see there, will also keep the price dynamics elevated. Um, so all in all, the current inflation developments is a series of price shock each of which is maybe temporary in nature, but they are changed and superposed. And, uh, and that gives the impression of persistency. And this is why it spills over to the inflation expectations and therefore central banks react to it. In the medium term, we continue to expect that the price shocks effects are, are going to dis dissipate and that inflation in the Eurozone, but also in the U.S., gradually slow back towards their respective 2% target. It's also what we see on inflation markets, by the way. The protection for inflation uh, for the next two years is much more expensive than for the next 10 years. And um, and the inflation forward, which is closest to what we can call priced or market expectations of inflation, are still aroundish the target of 2%. You said for now, inflation concerns dominate. Does that mean you expect a monetary policy U-turn in the coming months in the US or Europe? Yeah, let's start with Europe, where the risks to growth are arguably largest. In the coming month, we expect economic recovery headwinds to become noticeably stronger. Next to the relatively moderate direct economic impact of sanctions on trade flows, the indirect economic implications will prove more significant with the surge in energy prices and heightened uncertainty bound to weigh on consumption and investment activity across the region. As a result, we have cut our 2022 Eurozone GDP forecast to 2.6% from 3.8% as of February. In such a context, the ECB will likely prefer to err uh, on the dovish side, even though headline inflation will register at 5.5% this year. We expect QE to continue, therefore, until the end of 2022, while a first 25 basis point rate hike will have to wait until the first quarter of next year. So in a nutshell, the normalization of monetary policy will be a bit delayed. But we're not talking about a proper U-turn here, since the normalization process is not yet in full swing. Yeah, in the, in the US, the situation is, is a bit different. Um, do we expect a U-turn? We have already shown that, um, the, the Fed is, has to perform a balancing act between growth 
growth and inflation. And um, we have also know, uh, seen that in the short term, they're announcing is very aggressive against inflation. But um, these expectations of the hiking cycle are already integrated into interest rates and they're already creating tighter financial conditions. And uh, meanwhile, the real economy is not looking too good. Uh, manufacturing is struggling with the supply chains and household consumption and confidence is affected by declining real wages and also the housing by, by strongly rising mortgage rates. So if you remember the trilemma, uh, <laughs> this is monetary policy tightening while growth is slowing. And this is definitely, definitely a risk. So how will it turn out? For the moment, we have two opposing narratives in place. The first is the Fed is able to engineer a soft landing. That means they are hiking rates enough to keep inflation in check, but without killing growth. That's what happened in 1994, and that's a bit the Goldilocks scenario that the Fed has in mind. There's a second one, which uh, the Fed will hike very aggressively, but will have to reverse very quickly as economic indicators deteriorate. And this is what we have seen, for example, in 2018. And this is more of a hard landing scenario where the, the risk of inflation is much higher. So the market, the bond market, especially the rates markets, is it's leaning towards the second narrative. That's that's very clear, and we see that many parts of the U.S. yield curve has recent have recently inverted. That doesn't mean necessarily that we see uh, a recession coming, but um, and there is this market uh, wisdom saying that the yield curve has predicted eight of the last five recessions in the U.S. But what we can say is that since the 1960s, monetary tightening where the terminal value of the hiking cycle, so remember the, the peak of the hiking cycle, was above the rate that we call neutral. It was always uh, followed by a recession. Uh, and this was only, the only exception was 1994. So um, I think the, the balance of risks currently, at least also for market pricing side, is more to this hard lending scenario. So how can central banks navigate this dilemma? Yeah, for the ECB, um, in this context of heightened uncertainty, it's all about um, maintaining policy flexibility. And in that spirit, the ECB has rightly decided to recalibrate its policy stance going forward in a data-dependent manner. Um, and what does that mean? Um, it's all about watching key indicators for clues in whether we should be more concerned about inflation or growth risks uh, going forward. So on the one hand, um, there needs to be a focus here on labor market developments and inflation expectations to gauge the risk of second round effects. Um, and on the other hand, um, we need to carefully watch high frequency economic indicators uh, for any signs um, that the eurozone recovery is faltering. More generally, we think that the ECB can well afford to wait a little bit and delay its normalization process by a few months to uh, gain a better understanding of the situation. As growth risks for Europe are larger and the probability of a wage price spiral is actually much lower compared to the US. Inflation expectations remain largely anchored um, and wage growth spotty, which in turn should help keep core inflation in check over the medium term in the Eurozone. Moreover, unions are likely to scale back demands um, for, for wage growth in the context of um, elevated growth risks. So overall, we think the risk of second round effects is, is, uh, is actually on the lower side. 
Yes, Katrina, you pointed it out correctly. The situation is is more difficult for the for the Fed because waiting is not necessarily an option uh, here because we are already facing this wage price spiral at least in some segments of of the of the U.S. labor market, and inflation and inflation expectation have already engaged in a kind of self-enforcing spiral, which is hard to break. Uh, and um, personally, I think the Fed cannot succeed in breaking it. On, on persistently if she doesn't get help at some point from the oil market. Um, because what we observe is that inflation expectations have become a bit blurry. And, and then in these, in these moments of uncertainty, they have a tendency to mimic realized inflation or even more strikingly currently to, to, to grab on the oil price. And um, stabilization of inflation expectations would therefore also imply uh, the, uh, the oil price to stabilize. And what if things take a turn for the worse? What will central banks need to do in an adverse scenario? We have a downside uh, scenario um, that lays out uh, how the Ukraine-Russia conflict may further evolve. And in that, the we see also energy trade included in the sanctions. Um, so in this blackout scenario, as we call it, and we would see a sharp energy-related supply shock, which would uh, throw the Eurozone economy in a recession in H2 2022, as aggregate demand adjusts to higher energy prices and power rationing would be introduced. And in this scenario, we would see inflation rise further to an average of 6.5% this year and 4% next year while growth would actually decelerate to 1.5% this year, and we have penciled in a contraction for the full year 2023 at minus 1.2%. And in such a scenario, the ECB would go back to whatever it takes mode. And in turn, that would mean that it would shelf its policy normalization plans for 2022 altogether in light of a meaningful disruption of the economic recovery um, as well as growing financial stability concerns for the region. I think in the in the US, if we we had really for 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 adverse scenario um, following the Russian crisis, the US economy would certainly be affected as well. But uh, in in the end, a bit less than Europe. The interdependencies are are, are weaker here, and so growth should, should still be around two point three percent. And um, and the recession you might see in two thousand. 23 would be half as severe than in Europe, is about 0.6 year on year. Um, I think the Fed has proven in the part that is notably in the in the COVID crisis that uh, it's very reactive when it comes to caution the economy against external shocks, and this is also what I would expect if we if we go in this adverse scenario. The Fed being very pragmatic about uh, rate cuts uh, or asset purchases or liquidity injections. Personally, I think one aspect where the Fed in this scenario should really put a focus on is financial stability, because we are already in an, in a, in an environment of very elevated volatility in the rates market and in the bond market. And um, this has a disruptive potential, especially now when we have also liquidity uh, that is low and we have very strong positioning on higher rates. So um, this, this I think, would be would be the the focus, the and, and where I would expect the, the Fed to be to be very active. Okay, well, thank you very much, Catherine and Patrick, for explaining all this. That was super interesting. We'll speak to you next time. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research 
You can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too, and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.